on our life. We make disciples by those that are watching. May the disciples we make, may the shadows that we cast, lead people to see Jesus in us. We continue in our journey on the book of Acts. And uh, we've been walking through the book of Acts and through various uh, uh, chapters. We're not hitting all of Acts, but we're spending a few weeks and just getting some of the, uh, the flavor. We started on the, on the uh, day of Pentecost and, and talking about this great gift of God's Holy Spirit and then the birth of the church. And we've been following through the life of the church uh, over the past uh, few weeks, some of the, some of the beginnings uh, of the church. And so we continue in that this morning in Acts chapter 9. I want to invite you to turn to Acts 9, and uh, we're going to look at the first uh, 20 verses of Acts 9. I would invite you to stand for the reading of the New Testament this morning. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you persecute, and he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink. In Damascus there was a, a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he's come here with the authority of the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias went to the house and entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes so he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. You can be seated. You know, the story of Saul being blinded on the road to Damascus is, uh, is perhaps the most radical conversion in all of Scripture. You, uh, you probably are familiar with the story before, but, but Saul this, is this Pharisee. He is morally upright. He is uh, scrupulous in following the law. He, he is a, a lover of, of the law and of the Jewish faith, and, and he was committed to keeping it pure. He was so concerned about keeping it pure that, that there was this upstart group of, of, of Jews who, who, who were calling on somebody named Jesus as the Messiah. Now, Jesus had been put to death, but, but their followers were growing by number over and over again. And so one of Saul's responsibilities was to combat this movement, and he was arrested, and he would punish, and he was doing his job very well. 
Last week, Pastor Kyle talked about the appointment of the, of the seven deacons who were, who were to help do some of the nuts and bolts of the church, some of the administration of the church, so that the apostles or, or the pastors could, could preach the word and have time to shepherd people. One of those appointed was Stephen. Then in Acts chapter 7, we read that uh, Stephen is stoned to death. He was known as the first Christian martyr. And we learn that Paul was there. Saul at the time, and that he approved of the stoning. Later we read, Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women, and he committed them to prison. And that leads us to our scripture today. Saul, Saul is not a person to be messed with. He, he seems to be the persecutor par excellence of the early church. He, he is on his way to Damascus, and he's going to find believers of people in the way, people who were following after Jesus, He's going to bring them back to Jerusalem and imprison them or, or more, but he doesn't get there. For on the road to Damascus, he is knocked to the ground by this flash of light, and there is this voice of heaven that says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, who are you? And the voice says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Gotta be, think about that story. It had to be an amazing moment. I mean, sometimes we can just get so, we, we know the story and we get, I mean, I want you to think about that story, how powerful that must have been. In the, and this is not something that happens every day. I mean, Saul is suddenly and dramatically, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and his life will never be the same again. He is irreversibly changed. Saul, the persecutor, will go on to be Paul, the missionary, and will bring the gospel to the Gentiles. An amazing, dramatic conversion. I don't know about you, but, but my experience is light years away from Paul's. I grew up in the church, and I don't ever remember a day in which I didn't know or call upon the name of Jesus. I made a public profession when I was six years old, and I was baptized, and, and my experience was nothing like Paul's. I wasn't the persecutor of the church. I wasn't a murderer. I I um, had not lived a life of debauchery any more than any other six-year-old boy at, at that point. But, but slowly my faith grew. The faith of my father, the shadow of my father cast upon me, helped me understand the love of the heavenly father. And after my faith grew, my faith became my own. And, and the faith was no longer the faith of my parents. It was no longer the faith of my church. It was the faith that I had experienced through the love of Jesus Christ myself, but there was no blinding light or voice from heaven. We might find Saul's conversion fascinating and amazing and powerful and miraculous. We might find it a whole bunch of things, but it is not one that we usually relate to personally. For most of us, meeting Jesus was not a blinding light on the, on the road to Priest River on one dark night, and, and yet it's an amazing story of how God works. But a lot of times, it is Saul who gets all of the, the press in this passage. It's an amazing story, it's a, and I, don't, I want us to look at it, but, but I want us to look maybe at something that we don't always look so close at. 
Saul's knocked to the ground, and, and Jesus tells him to get up and to go into the city. And he gets up and he can't see, but he has travel companions with him. And, and, and these are not just travel companions. These are guys that he's brought along to help gather up the Christians and help persecute them. And, and so they have to walk him into Damascus. And he goes into Damascus, and he's there for three days. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. He's got to think life is over at this point. But then enters a man named Ananias. You know, we really don't know anything about him other than he is a follower of Jesus from Damascus. He's not mentioned in the Bible except for this chapter and then again in chapter 22, which is just a retelling of the same story. We don't know anything about him other than he was a Jew. Uh, he was, lived in Damascus. We don't know if he was raised in Damascus. It's quite possible he was a refugee from Damascus. He wasn't famous. He wasn't noteworthy. We don't know what his skill sets. We do know he was a follower of Jesus. So Ananias has this vision. God says, Ananias, I want you to go to Saul of Tarsus. I want you to lay your hands on him. And, and, and I think that I just got to picture this in my head. I'm not even sure that God gets through the whole sentence of the vision before Ananias starts to say, whoa, God, are you kidding me? And God says, yeah, this is what I want you to and again, I'm not even sure that God gets through the rest of the sentence before Ananias says, God, do you know this guy? God, are you familiar with him? Maybe I need to educate you a little bit. I've heard of this guy. This guy is after people like me. He's going to throw me in jail. He's going to kill me. God, you don't have any idea what you're asking me to do. And God says, and I love how it's put in the, in the book of Acts, go, exclamation mark. Go. I mean, you've got to sympathize with Ananias. Like everybody else, he's been trying to steer clear of Saul. He's been trying to stay safe, and, and God wants him to go on purpose. And the Lord says, go. Not only go, but I want you to go because I've got a plan for him. In fact, I'm going to use him for the good of the kingdom. The story of Saul's conversion is miraculous. And yet I think maybe the biggest miracle in this whole story is that Ananias says, okay, God, I'll go. And listen, I mean, think about that for a minute. Saul's purpose in life was to destroy people like Ananias. Saul's purpose, I mean, we don't understand that kind of persecution. I want you to think about that. Saul's purpose in life was to destroy Ananias and people like him. And God says, I want you to go to him. I want you to go to him. I want you to minister to him. And that God says, I'm going to use him to do great things for the kingdom. That must have sounded crazy. So Ananias has a choice. Can you imagine getting that choice? And I think about that, and I think, okay, God, did you really, was that really a vision, or was that the sauerkraut pizza I had last night? I mean, is this really what you're wanting me to do? I want you to think about that. I want you to think of the worst enemy uh, of the Christian faith. And that's not hard for you to think about. Turn on the news, watch the television. There's whole groups of people th that are like that. I want you to think of the worst enemy of the Christian faith. And then I want you to think about God coming to you and saying, I want you to go to them. And I want you to go to them in my name because I'm going to do something for the kingdom. Ananias has doubts about the whole thing, but he goes in faith. And then I think the two words that are maybe the most powerful to me in the entire passage. Ananias walks into the room and he says these two words, brother Saul. Brother Saul, he says. Ananias enters in his house he lays his hand on Saul, and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus 
who you met on the road here has sent me here so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias shows incredible faith to go in the first place. He does as the Lord directs, but then he says to Saul, this persecutor, brother. Saul goes on to become Paul, the great missionary of the church. He establishes churches throughout the Mediterranean. He encourages churches. He wrote a good chunk of our, of our New Testament, both deep theological treaties and, and moving poetry. He, he refereed some church fights. We, we know about Paul, but would we ever know about Paul if it wasn't for an unknown guy by the name of Ananias, who was faithful to God's call in his life, who we don't know anything about. We don't know anything about him other than he was God's instrument of healing. What would we know of Paul without one to welcome him and without one to introduce him to the Christian community? Where would we be if the shadow of Ananias had not passed by? You know, people come to Christ in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes in the dramatic, like Paul, for most of us, it is in a quieter, less flashy kind of way. And I think if we were to tell our stories, we'd be able to tell about an Ananias or two in our life whose shadow came across us and drew us to the God who loves us. The rest of us might not know the name of that person in your life, but you do. And you're here today because of the actions of others who have led you and been examples for you. And it's hard to think about that and then not also go to the next logical step, which is to think about, who am I an Ananias for? Who am I living in front of? Who am I obeying God so that through that obedience, God might use others for the kingdom? Ananias, with good reason, has his doubts. So often, we look at people, I think, like Ananias did, and we think we've got the ball figured out. We think we've, we've put the, the period at the end of the sentence, and, and, and they're maybe beyond hope, or they're somebody outside of the kingdom. Those are people we aren't going to associate with. And yet God seems to look deeper every time. I went to school, high school, with, uh, we'll call them Ned and Janet. That isn't their real names. But, uh, but Ned was a bully. Ned um, was always fighting. He was beating people up. He had a foul mouth. Ned always wore a muscle shirt, and he had the muscles to wear a muscle shirt. He was often drinking. He was almost always in trouble. Ned was a guy that you just kind of wanted to steer around when you were out and about. Janet was pretty wild. She was extremely promiscuous. She partied quite a bit. She dabbled in drugs. Her, her reputation got to the point in which um, it got so bad that no boy wanted her anymore and no girl would be her friend. And so she moved away our senior year. Today, I'm Facebook friends with Ned and Janet. Facebook has this way of bringing people back into your life that you haven't seen in, in my case, 27 years, probably the last time I saw them. But I've watched them over the course of, uh, of the last month, over the last year. Ned often posts something about his daily devotional life. 
Often, it's not a surprise at all, two or three times a week, Ned, I'll get on the computer, and Ned will have posted a prayer for the morning of thanksgiving of how God is at work in his life. This last week, he wrote on a friend's site, he wrote, I know you're going through a tough time. I've been where you are, and Jesus made all the difference for me. Because if you want to talk, I'm there. Janet, today, is a single mom. She's raising her kids in the church. Her kids go to Christian school. She's a volunteer in the youth group as a sponsor, and she's faithful every week in her small group Bible study. And I get to see her faith lived out in the comments of her life and in her family. I haven't had a personal conversation with Ned or Janet in 27 years. I don't know their story of faith, but I am confident that somewhere along the way, the long shadow of someone who was faithful passed by them, and I am sure that there was at least one Ananias in their life who did not give up on their circumstance, but followed the call of God to continue to speak hope and peace into Ned and Janet's life when they encountered Jesus Christ and their life and the life of their children has never been the same. We, um, we may think we know the other person. We may think we have them all figured out. We might even have a few that we've given up on. God never gives up And if Saul could change, anyone can change. The conversion of Saul reminds me that the conversion uh, is simply not a private matter. It isn't an us and God kind of relationship. It wasn't a Saul and God or even a Saul and God and Ananias, but it involved the whole community. The whole community of Damascus apparently is as accepting as Ananias. The whole community brings him in. Their former enemy, he is baptized. He has meals with them, which is significant in their culture. And there he is ministered to for a few days and then begins his ministry. In verse 20, says, Saul, the former persecutor, now stands in the synagogue proclaiming Jesus to be the Son of God. That must have blown the mind of the people in the synagogue that day. They showed up, and here is Saul, the persecutor, being Paul, the proclaimer of Jesus Christ. And Paul went on to give his life's mission telling the good news of Jesus. If you follow the story of Paul, was his life easy? It was not easy at all. For no one ever said, except for maybe a couple TV preachers. I shouldn't have said that, but no one ever said the call to the Christian life was going to be easy. In fact, sometimes we're called to recognize the image of God even in people that are despised. And sometimes it isn't easy. And yet we're in really good company for Jesus was constantly in trouble for accepting and affirming those who were considered unclean and abominations, people whose behavior proved godless. But God calls us to be a part of a community And we aren't the gatekeeper to that community. God is. 
this week I'm trying to work on a new discipline in my life. And I got to just, I'll just be honest with you, I hate it. I hate change. But a necessary change. The new discipline, and, and I've done it before, but I've really just came to me this week. I, I, I watched something on the news, and, and it ticked me off, and, and, um, and the person ticked me off. And before I went on a rant, I just felt like the Holy Spirit, it had to be the Holy Spirit, because it wouldn't have been me. The Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, have you prayed for that person? I said, no, I haven't. So I've tried this week. I've tried this week when something has come up or when I've read something or I've seen something or I've watched somebody's action that seemed to be just 180 degrees away from, from following Jesus. I've tried to get in the habit this week of pausing even for a moment and praying, and, and it's not easy. But the story on the, of Saul on the road to Damascus reminds me that God hasn't given up on anybody. And if God hasn't given up on anybody, then neither will I. And maybe God will call us into the places of the people that we've written off or the people groups. Maybe God calls us into the tough places because we get to be his hands and feet. Here's where I wanted to look at this passage. This is what it boils down to. We're in the book of Acts. There's so many places. I couldn't do everything. Why choose this passage? It's simply this. Could it be, could it be that we, in this place, on this day, could have a Damascus Road experience? You know, probably not like Paul's. But are you open to hearing the Holy Spirit of God speak to you this morning? Now, I know the quick answer and the right answer is to say yes. That's not what I'm after. I'm not after the quick answer. Are you open to the Holy Spirit of God to interrupt your journey, to stop you in where you think you're going, and to hear from his spirit this morning? Pastor Kobe's going to come. And I don't see him. Eventually, Pastor Kobe's going to come, and he's going to sing in a moment, and, um, and we're going to uh, just take a moment. I want to invite you. What if the Holy Spirit was to just stop you right on the road where you're at? What would he say to you? Can I maybe offer you three ways that maybe he might speak into your life today. If you were to have a Damascus Road experience today, if God was to stop you along the journey, could I offer three things that he might say? The first one is, is to ask, are you Saul? Is God tapping you on the shoulder in the midst of the journey right now and saying, you know, I think you're on the wrong road. I think you're on a road that's not my best plan for you. You might have been on it, but maybe you've taken one that's parallel. It doesn't necessarily go in the other direction, but it's, it's not your path. And he would say to you today, I think you need to make an adjustment in your life, 
to be the salt. Are, are you salt? The second thing that maybe he would speak to you today is, is to ask the question, is there a Saul in your life? Like when I say that, some of you had a name that came to your mind. Some of you had more than one name that came to your mind. It's a person that you really don't want anything to do with them. If you would hear the Holy Spirit speak softly and call you to soften your heart to at least be one who begins to pray for them. And that if God calls you to the next step, to do the next bit of his name with you, that you, you could come to that point to be willing to go. Is there a Saul in your life? And the third, are you casting a shadow for Christ? Ananias wasn't anybody famous. He was just faithful. And there are people in your life that you're called to be casting the shadow for. And there's a whole bunch that you might not know their names, but they're watching you. They're watching how you live, and they're, they're watching the, the difference you say that God will make in your life. But, but let me just drill down a little farther. There are a whole bunch that you do know their names. You do know your, their names, and they need you to be more resolved. And God's Holy Spirit calls you to be more resolved. God, help me to be a faithful in my walk. God, help me to be faithful in my influence. God, help me that my shadow casts in ways that draw people to you. Are you casting a shadow for Christ? Pastor Kobe's going to sing a couple verses of a song we sang earlier, and I just want to invite you, not, not my speaking, but by the Holy Spirit. Could it be that tooling along in your journey today God wants to stop you on the road and ask you some questions. How would his spirit speak to you?
Father, we just want to recognize sometimes we can just be barreling along with our agenda and walking down the road, and there are times that we need to interrupt us, and we want to listen. And so, Father, today I, I wonder if there might be someone who felt a tap on their shoulder today and said, I am Saul. And felt a tap to say, my life needs to be adjusted a little more to your calling. Father, if somebody prayed that prayer today, I just want, I just want to, to pray that your spirit would help come alongside of them and give them the strength to make the adjustments that they need. Only by your strength, not by ours. And Father, for those who prayed the prayer today of about a Saul in their life, there's a person or a family member or a people group or a past relationship, I don't know, somebody at work, in which we just do our best to steer around them, to stay away from them and to... God, would you help us to begin to be people who, who see with your eyes and hear with your ears? And at the very least, would you help us develop a discipline to begin to pray? Pray for the soul in our life. Not by our strength, but by yours. Because your grace has so overflowed in our lives that it's big enough to just spill out into the others who are part of our life as well. And Father, for those who hear your spirit asking the question, are, are you casting a shadow? God, may we be reminded that each one of us are being watched we're being watched by people who look at our lives, whether they're our, our kids or our grandkids or whether they're people in our community or in our jobs. And God, I'm reminded of my friend even this last week who came to me just breaking down because he had started to engage in some stuff at work with others that he knew wasn't honoring God. He had to go back to him this week. God, so easily we can get into the trap of thinking that we just, it's just you and us. And yet we're reminded that you've called us to be your church. You've called us to be your hands and feet. And we're your representative to those that are around us. Would you help us to cast shadows of grace and love and hope and joy in the God who created us? Is so sweet to trust in God. May this be a sweet week, God, because we've met you on this road. You've stopped us along the way. The blinding light has made us pause. You've asked us some questions. And now you're calling to the mission of your kingdom. We're thankful for the, the transformation from Saul to Paul. But God, we're thankful for your transformation in our own lives, a transformation that continues because you continue to set us aside and sanctify us wholly for your purpose and call us in your name to look more like you day after day after day. So we forget that which was in the past. We press on for that which is before us. 
the upward call of Jesus Christ for the shadows of our life stretch long because we live in the light of the kingdom. Oh, may your blessing go with us and may joy be ours for we are children of the King. In your name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you as you go. Don't forget, breakfast is going to be served. We'd love to have you stay, hang out, and eat with us.
some glad morning when this life is over I'll away to a home on God's celestial shore I'll fly away oh I'll fly away oh glory I'll fly away when I die hallelujah by and by I'll fly away when the shadows of this life have grown. I'll fly away like a bird from prison bars has flown. I'll fly away. Oh, I'll fly away. Oh, glory. I'll fly away when I die. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away to a land where joy shall never end. I'll fly away, oh, I'll fly away, oh, glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, Good morning. We're doing a couple throwback back songs today. Um, and uh, just a reminder that um, it is good to be in the house of God. And it is good to be reminded that um, generation after generation of people have found God to be faithful. And his track record is absolutely perfect. And if it's perfect, it can be trusted for tomorrow as well. And so we come this morning to worship in a cave. Um, so welcome to the cave today. And doesn't this look great? Um, all the people put all the efforts and all, all throughout the building. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, VBS as time goes on. And these guys who've had to kind of adjust and, and uh, couldn't get the drum set up here, but um, we're, we're making do. But happy Father's Day as well. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but uh, we want to welcome you uh, on this day. And, and a big thanks to uh, those who made breakfast this morning. Uh, I want to say a big thanks to them as well. This is our first Sunday of our summer schedule, and uh, all through the summer, our first service, this service stays the same, but our first service uh, goes, starts at 8 o'clock rather than 8.30, so we've got extra time for breakfast, and there was a great egg dish and, and stuff, and, and what do you call that, coffee cake, right? Wasn't there coffee cake? Muffins, and I didn't get in there, but I peeked in and saw how good it looked, and so come early for you in second service, come a little early every week this summer, Boy, she was excited about it, and... Um, <laughs> It was good breakfast. Come a little early this summer and uh, enjoy breakfast with first service folks and a uh, great time of fellowship with each other. Well, as we begin to worship this morning, we are reminded that, um, that we are a people who come together because of the gift of God's great love. And so I just want to encourage you this morning as we, uh, as we sing some songs that, that uh, will be um, very familiar to you, sing some songs that might be new to you, I want to encourage you today 
Watch the words. Listen to the words. We have come this morning not to be entertained. We've come this morning to worship the God who created us and to find peace in his presence. And so as we do, I want to invite you to turn your hearts towards worship. Father, we gather this morning as a people with expectant hearts, expecting, expecting to meet you in this place, to stand with others that are around us and to be reminded of your good grace and your good love. And we come because we are a people in need. God, all over this sanctuary and in first service as well, we're, we're people who've come from weeks that, that some have been up and some have been down. But this common theme we have, we need you. So may all that we say and all that we do today bring honor and glory to you. May these words that we lift not just bless you, but may they remind us of your goodness and your grace. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and let's continue to worship. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, and to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me beneath the healing cleansing blood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more. sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply life and rest, joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, to trust him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that thou art with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Lord, we just thank you so much for loving us so sweetly and taking such great good care of us. And Lord, we just thank you for the privilege of gathering together in your name and celebrating your sacrifice for us and the redemption we have in you and the new life that you give us, the eternal life that you give us. And 
So, Lord, we're here today to have our cups filled. We just need you in this place, and we ask that you would do a good work in us and that we would yield to you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon. For my pardon. Nothing but the blood of Jesus for my cleansing this my plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Precious is the flow. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as stone. No other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Romans chapter 5. Actually, you may be seated before I keep rolling. Romans chapter 5, 6 through 11 says this. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Powerful scripture, isn't it? Um, Probably a couple days ago, we were as a family reading through some some of the scriptures, and my daughter came across the story of Simeon. If you don't remember the story of Simeon, it's this guy who kind of stands near the temple and at the entrance there, and he's been waiting patiently on something to happen, right? And there's been years and years of just almost like hopelessness. You imagine the Romans moving in, setting up camp. Their people are really upset, uh, you know, and poverty and just really, really difficult things, difficult obstacles for the people. And they're, 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 they're wrenched up from all of the pressure. And Simeon, with hope in his heart, is waiting for something to happen, for the Lord Jesus to show up 
and he is alive when Jesus is born. And so Mary brings her the baby Jesus in there to the temple, and, and he celebrates big time. He says now that I have seen Jesus, I can now die a happy man, basically. And the whole point is it being that finally resolve in his life. You ever been in that place where all of a sudden you have resolve in your heart? Maybe it's the moment where the Lord Jesus first came into your life and you finally get it. You finally get the resolve. You finally get the, you know what I mean, free from 